0: My friends, I think it's important to remember, to recall anyway, that today's familiar parables immediately follow last Sunday's gospel that we proclaim also from Luke. If anyone comes to me without hating his father and mother, and on and on, even his own life, without carrying his own cross, without renouncing all his possessions, he cannot be my disciple. The challenging cost of discipleship spoken about last week is balanced today this beautiful gospel of love and mercy. Jesus tells three parables in response to these complaints. These complaints from the Pharisees and the scribes complaining so shockingly that Jesus was welcoming, that he was spending time with sinners. What would we expect him to do? On the surface, of course, these stories are about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. Yet we know they're also about the one who finds. We know that they are about God the seeker, that Jesus became man to restore us to the Father. He became incarnate. He became flesh to show us the way to him and to show us the Father's love, to give us an incredible and perfect example of the Father's love on the cross. Today's readings remind us that we are sinners, and we are all, every last one of us here in this church, in need of salvation. This first reading from Exodus reminds us that like the Israelites in the desert with Moses, we too have corrupted ourselves by making idols out of things of this world, perhaps money, power, fame, even comfort. I know for me sometimes it could be Notre Dame football. You know, the list is long. These are our molten calves. And like David the psalmist, if we are paying attention, and we should, we know our transgressions. We know this list to be long. Our sin is always before us. And we know that God simply wants our contrite hearts. And similarly, like Paul reminds us in his first letter to Timothy, God wants us to repent and return to him, for he is a God of love and mercy. But I do think it's really important to point out these three men in those first three readings. Moses was a murderer. David, not just a murderer, but also an adulterer. Paul, a great persecutor of the early church, also a murderer. Love and mercy offered to those three men. Love and mercy accepted. Repentance became a deep conversion. God came into the world, my friends, to save us. These readings and parables are illustrations of God's beautiful love and mercy. These parables are also showing us God's relentless and unending search for those who are not in full communion with him, those that have not yet given them their entire heart and mind. And to be sure, there is great rejoicing in all of heaven when those that are lost are found. You know, I'd like to focus on this third parable, often referred to, of course, as the prodigal son. Because I do think it lends itself, I hope you prayed with this, it really does lend itself to great and deep meditation. It was a Jewish custom back in the day for the younger son to receive a third. The older son would have received two-thirds. And it was not uncommon even for that inheritance to be divided even before the father's death. These are all factually true. It was, however, rare for the son to demand the inheritance while the father was still living. Can you even imagine? It's as if the younger son was saying to good old dad, I wish you were dead. It's one thing to divide the property, understand who's getting what, but it's another thing to then take it before dad was gone. The younger son demanded his inheritance and then he squandered it. You know, it's so interesting, in the English translation, we get these words like inheritance, we think of property, but the word used from the Greek is ousia. It means being. It means his very self. He led a life of dissipation. He was reckless and wasteful with his own being, with who he actually was. He squandered his being by recklessly living the life that had been planned for him by his loving father. But thankfully he does come to his senses. Surely it was because of his father's prayers. He was brought to his knees when two disasters struck simultaneously. One his fault, he ran out of money. The other was not his fault, there was a severe famine. God allowed this suffering in his life, he did not cause it, but he did allow this suffering in his younger son's life to bring about a greater change. The younger son did not recognize his own dignity had come from his father, that he was made in his image and likeness. He had put his faith in things of the world and he lost. He lost big time. He hit rock bottom. He even resorted to working with the pigs. A Jew would never, it would be unimaginable for a Jew to be even near a pig. But he was wanting to eat their food. Yet he comes to his senses. And note so beautifully, he sets off to return to his father. He didn't go to return to his home. He went to return to daddy. He went back seeking his father's love. And a long way off, it says, filled with compassion, the father ran, embraced, and kissed him. We can imagine every day going to the hill and looking to the horizon waiting for his son. Every day, the father was sent uh, just sitting there waiting, waiting. And he had planned his confession, the son did. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. So true, he had. I no longer Deserve to be called your son again, so true. But treat me as you would treat one of your hired workers. This certainly would have been a just response. But I don't know what happened. These words were never, well, they were practiced, but they were never expressed in front of the father. He doesn't complete this third sentence. Who stopped whom? Perhaps the younger son is looking in the father's eyes and he couldn't bear to say those words, recognizing that is not what the father would allow. He saw such love from that gaze of of his father. Or perhaps the father interrupted him, recognizing that he still, my son, still does not get how much he is loved. I must stop him from seeing himself in this way. Note, too, the beautiful symbolism of this encounter. He is given a robe. It's a beautiful symbol of sanctifying grace. The return of the divine life within him. This beautiful symbol of sanctifying grace, this ring, a symbol of his authority, his position as being the beloved son. The shoes that were returned to his feet, a sign of freedom being restored. The fattened calf, this great gift, all the music and dancing. A beautiful recognition of the great celebration, the rejoicing that was happening. The son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. So interesting, the order of this sentence. The father is telling us that there is something worse than being dead. And that is being lost. That is being separated from, away from the father. But distance is not the only way that we can separate ourselves from the father. Look to the elder son's response to his brother's return. Anger. This is not the proper response. He refuses to associate with him. He calls him your son not even talking to him about him being his own brother. He acts like the Pharisees and scribes, who also refuse to be without outcasts. He lacks gratitude, gratitude for the Father's love. He thinks he is perfect, but his own words convict him. All these years I served you, perhaps a better translation would be I slayed for you. Like the little brother, he failed to recognize his own dignity. I slave for you. I worked, uh, he worked for his father not out of love, but out of duty. Perhaps dreaming of freedom without limits. Like his younger brother, he was jealous, yet his father comes to him too. And he loves him. He loves both sons. The son the father, of course, is God. And he loves all of us unconditionally. As I said, this parable, as you know, is is often referred to as the prodigal son, and rightly so. Prodigal means reckless. It means wastefully extravagant. The younger son was all these things. Wastefully extravagant with his inheritance. Reckless with his very own being. But I do think it could also be called the the prodigal father. God is seemingly so reckless at times, it seems, with his grace, wastefully extravagant with his abundant grace, with his love and mercy, knowing that many will not accept this great gift. But he's always generous. The Heavenly Father is always generous with his grace, even, well, it's part of his nature. And as I thought, though, throughout this week, I thought, uh, well, it seems like this parable could also be called the parable Pharisees and scribes. So reckless they were with the gift that was literally standing before them. That God himself, the incarnation, was standing before them and they seemed to, at least in the moment, wasting this opportunity. My friends, the father loved both his sons in the parable. Jesus was loving those Pharisees and scribes and he, we know, is always loving us. Will we, when we are that younger son, remain in the love of his father upon our return? Will we, when we act like that elder son, uh, be reckless with the gift that is offered to us always and accept the father's love and likewise the love of those around us like our brothers? Perhaps there are times when we are like the Pharisees. Are we wasteful of the gift of even this holy mass? Will there be cause for rejoicing in heaven and on earth as a result of our decision to accept the love of the Father and to be an instrument of that same love and mercy out in the world? Accept God's love and mercy. He is searching for you. He is searching for people in our lives. Let him find you and be instruments of that same grace to another. And may God be praised.